Welcome to the Virtual CPA Success Show, where we're 100% focused on helping service-based businesses achieve success. Are you a business owner interested in learning how to scale your business? Has your business reached over $1 million in annual revenue? Then this podcast is for you. Hello, and welcome to today's podcast. Uh, today, we have a very uh, interesting topic. We're talking with uh, Jody Grundon again and Jamie Na here. Uh, we're going to do a little bit of a hodgepodge episode. So Jody and I were kind of talking, and we were talking about some clients and talking about some of our experiences. And one of the things we talked about is what are the real big issues that we see most of the time? And as we were going down this conversation, we decided this is a perfect podcast topic. So we wanted to um, dig into it a little bit more on this podcast. So Jody, I'm going to let you start. What's the first issue that you think comes up with most of our clients that you kind of want to dig into? Um, the first issue I would say would be probably cash flow. Um, I would say nine out of 10 clients actually come to us. They, they have, they're in some sort of cash flow issue, meaning that they don't have enough money in the bank. They're not sure what to spend their money on. They're not sure, you know, maybe they don't have enough for taxes or whatever. So cash flow is by far, I would say the, the, one of the biggest reasons they, they come to us for sure. Yeah, and, and just so you guys know, this um, some of these issues we have talked about in previous podcasts, so I'll make sure I mention that. And so we did a, a deep dive on, on cash flow in our episode 11 um, podcast, so if you want to listen to that further. But um, we're going to dig into it a little bit here just so we make sure we're not just throwing the topic out there and, and leaving it. So, um, Jody, what's the um, what are some quick tips you can give people if they're listening to this podcast and they're like, oh, yeah, that's me. I have, I have cash flow issues. What are the things they should be thinking about? Yeah, so so like when we um, we talk about cash flow, one of the questions I always ask when I'm interviewing a prospective client is, you know, how much money do you have in the bank compared to your revenue? Because that's real important to us because we want to generate at least 10% of your annualized revenue and have it in your in your operating account at all times. So that's in addition to what you've got set aside for taxes. You know, that's a completely different story. Taxes should be in that, including that 10%. So when we're going through the interview process, we're asking that, and, and I'm trying to determine if they if they truly have, are, are flush with cash or if they have potential cash flow issues. And so once, uh, once we've decided on that, uh, one of the biggest things are is that uh, we push them into what we call our cash flow management process, where we actually meet with them on a weekly basis, go through their cash over the next eight to 12 weeks, and really determine really you know, when the money needs to be spent and, and at what time it needs to be spent, when they think they're going to get their money in from clients and, and, you know, and so forth. And so we built that general basic model out for them so they can really see where their cash is going and at no point in time will they be short of cash and if they are then we can react a little quicker you know do they have a line of credit set up you know what's the situation do we defer payments and so cash is one of the biggest things that i see that they come to us because they really don't know how to manage cash and so i think it's important to, to the cash is managed on a weekly basis. It's important that your bank accounts are reconciled on a pretty much a daily basis, in my opinion, uh, so that you know what cash you've got in there. You know what, you know, checks are coming through, what deposits are being made and all that kind of stuff. And as an owner of a company, and I even do this uh, with, you know, with our company is I, I always look at cash pretty much on a daily basis. On a week, I go through it and uh, with our firm administrator, go through the exact same process that our, our CFOs and senior accountants go through with our clients just to make sure that or there's no surprises. You know, The worst case scenario would be is that my firm administrator calls me up on Sunday night and says, hey, I forgot to tell you, payroll's coming out tomorrow and oh, by the way, we don't have enough cash to cover it. You know, well, that, that would be a devastating you know, phone call. And so we're trying to make sure that that doesn't happen really for any of our clients. And so visibility in cash is, I think is by far the number one reason why, why we see people come to us as a, as a firm. And I think it's one of the biggest things that our firm has to tackle for our clients. 
Yeah, I would I definitely agree. And I think, you know, that's something that everyone could do. Like you wouldn't need a CPA firm to help you with that. You know, you just come up with a plan. You're going to come up with a plan. You're going to look at what your inflows are. You're going to look at what your outflows are. You're going to time them out and then be able to see what the short-term cash flow looks like. And then I think the second step of that is once you do that, you're going to start to see what the problems are. You know, it's really hard to say, oh, wow, I need to make payroll tomorrow. I need $400,000 and just instantly come up with $400,000. So the, the first step is really important here is building that short-term forecast to know what your cash flow problems are and why they exist. And I think that's number one. But I think once you see it, there's going to be one or two problems. One is going to be your forecast. Your company is just not built to, to be profitable and, and make cash. And so then you're going to have to kind of deep dive into the forecast, which obviously we've talked about in several of our other podcasts. And so that would be the first step to take is, okay, what am I spending too much money on? Why am I not profitable? Why do I not have enough cash? And then the other area that comes up a ton is just collections. You know, you're, you're just a really slow collector. And so you're going to, you're going to discover whether whether it's one of those two issues or another issue pretty quickly by um, having that cash flow process in place. And then you're going to be able to know those next steps to take, which is obviously the, the real um, crux of the problem. So that, that is important there. I would say the number two thing that we get outside of cash is taxes. And it kind of relates a lot to cash because what we hear a lot of times from our um, prospective clients, especially when at this time of the year or maybe even earlier, they just got their tax return and they were not expecting to pay a huge amount of money. And all of a sudden, now what do we do? You know, we, we thought we might pay a little bit, but we didn't think we were going to pay a lot because we made all of our estimated payments. We hear that all the time. I made all of our estimated payments, not sure why we owe money. And it's like, and so that, that's a big thing that I think a lot of our clients, I wouldn't say a lot, but we get a significant amount of prospective clients that come to us uh, because they had that big, huge tax surprise. And that, that can be easily, easily avoided uh, if everything is done on a regular monthly basis where if you're meeting with your accountant or your CFO on a monthly basis, you're going through the estimated payments that your tax preparer had set up for you, you know, from the prior tax return. You make sure you make those on a quarterly basis. You set money aside either on a weekly basis, which we do, or a monthly basis, which we have some of our clients do as well, to put aside into a, a separate account, a tax reserve account, set completely aside from the, your operating account, out of sight, out of mind. The money gets just flowing through there on a regular basis, building up cash. That money is then used out of that account to pay those estimated payments. It continues to build based on your forecasted revenue, forecasted net income. You know, what do you think you're going to be? That's why it's really important to have a solid forecast. So you can actually do this. Otherwise, you've got to base it on last year's money or you've got to base it on current year's net income. And that's a little tougher because if you have any seasonality at all, it makes it a little rough to, to do so. But putting that money into that uh, tax savings account and then if you need to pull it back out, you can always do that. But just kind of keep building, building. And then as, like I said, as the year progresses, uh, you should get closer and know more what your tax situation is going to be, especially halfway through the year, you know, you've already got half the way through the year done and uh, you've got your forecast through the rest of the year. You know, what, what is that tax situation going to look like? You know, it doesn't have to be a hard tax planner where you get and find all your investments and all that kind of stuff. And just a soft one, you know, hey, we're going to pay net income. Here's our taxable net income. And it's about 40% we're setting aside for taxes. And so that gives us an idea on where we're going to be. And then you again, you set the money aside on a regular monthly basis of that tax account. And then, if you do it right, and you're, if you're close on your estimates, at the end of the year, you should have the exact dollar amount that you're going to pay on April 15th, you know, on the non-pandemic years when it's not July 15th. You know, you're going to pay those April 15th, and you'll have it set aside, no surprise at all. And and that, that really comes working closely with that CFO, uh, virtual CFO, if you have one, or accountant, if you have that. 
to where you, you know what the, that number is every single month so that you can plan for it, you can set the money aside, and you cannot uh, do the uh, silly thing on spending it and not realizing you have taxes for it. We hear that all the time. Well, I got these taxes, but I don't have any money to pay for them because I spent it on maybe new hires or a new piece of equipment or whatever they might have done. And uh, now they're kind of you know behind the eight ball. And so that taxes are a big thing. I think uh, a lot of our clients or a lot of prospective clients come to, and we don't see those at all with our existing clients as we manage those on a regular weekly, monthly basis with them. Yeah, I was going to note that I think the one thing I noticed as a, as a CFO pretty early on was that um, this was the one thing that just was a huge um, comfort for clients is once we had that money set aside and we told them that, you know, this, this money is in this account for a reason. It's there for taxes. Don't touch it. Like it just, it gave owners just that extra comfort, but also helped them just get that money out of sight, out of mind and know that that money is tagged for something, you know, already. And so I think for me that when I was in, in that CFO role, like it was crazy how much of an impact just one small thing made on so many mm-hmm. clients. It's just, so oh, okay, I don't need to worry about having that surprise tax bill that I'm going to have to pay $60,000 come April 15th. And I don't have that right. much in the bank because it's starting set aside. So that was something that I've, I've realized pretty early on when I was a CFO, for sure. Yep. Those are my two topics there, Jamie. So awesome. you have a, a couple yourself? I do have a couple. Yeah. So I think the, the number one thing that, um, again, this was something that kind of surprised me as well when I was uh, a CFO, that this issue kept coming up over and over again. And it was something that I didn't really think about prior to being in this role was um, ownership issues. So I've had so many clients come to me and say, I want to buy a wait, partner out. Wait, wait, ownerships have issues? Yes. Yes, okay. yes, they do. Yes. Okay, just curious. Okay. Yeah. No, like I said, it was <laughs> it was very surprising to me. Like you know, ownership really is a marriage. Um, you know, you're getting invested with someone for a long term project that you're hoping to make profit on. And so, like, um, again, when you think about it and step back, like, of course, these issues come up all the time. But it was surprising to me how often I was working through almost being like a marriage counselor with my clients and walking them through and saying, well, let's, mm-hmm. let's talk about this. How do, how are things set up and, and how are, how are, how can we make the, this relationship better? And so that was, that's something that people come to us with all the time of two months into relationship. I want to buy a partner out or we want to add a new partner or this partner's not working out. And it, um, it's something that comes up all the time. And so I think the, the biggest thing you can do is, is look at your ownership agreement and make sure that everything is set up properly and make sure that those buyouts are, are there up front and that they're understood how they can happen. But also when you're choosing a partner. So if you're, if right now you're starting a business and you have, it's just you and you have a couple of employees for you and you want to take your best employee and turn them into a partner. Like that's not always the best strategy. You want to make sure that you have um, a good relationship with that person, but also, and I'm going to plug Jody and Adam here, the partners at uh, summit it's really good to have owners that think differently. You know, if, if um, Jody and Adam were always on the same page with everything, I don't think some of it would be as good as we so, are. So, so I, I think correctly. And Adam, thinks. <laughs> Adam thinks correctly as well. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> this is being recorded. Remember Jody? <laughs> he doesn't listen to him anyway. So I'm good. <laughs> No, and I think it's just, it's having that um, yin and yang there that just bounce ideas off each other, but not just the way they think, but also the way that their their mind works. Like Jody is very big picture. You know, Jody always thinks of big picture and is trying to think what's best for this company overall. He doesn't really want to get into the details all the time where Adam is very detail oriented and Adam is also a little bit more pessimistic than Jody where Jody's the optimist. And so the two of them just bounce each other off. And by the time you get them an agreement on something, it's probably the best idea for the company. And I think that's what I've, I've seen with Summit. And I think having just 
the difference in um, personalities of the ownership group are the owners that I've seen also through my clients that work out the best. You can tell pretty early on if you get into a, um, a client meeting and the two owners are in the exact, the exact same personality style. They're both quiet. They're both just sitting there leaning back listening and neither one is participating. Like, oh, I wonder how these owners work together because they seem to have a very similar personality. So that, that's the one tip I really think for our people that are in the early stages of entrepreneurship is make sure you choose your partner wisely because you really want to have that person that's going to challenge you and that person that's going to think a little bit differently than you. Yeah, and don't think you have to have a partner. I mean, most that's partnerships true. fail. Yeah. So, so why go into a failed relationship? A lot of marriages fail. They're the same, same, they're the same thing. So don't think you have to have a partner and don't think that everybody wants to be a partner. Now, that, that's a real mm-hmm. big fallacy that uh, a lot of people think is everybody wants to own part of the business. And in reality, that is not true. Only the entrepreneur type people really want to own a business is what I, what, what I would say. Not everybody wants to, wants to. Some people just enjoy being an employee with no risk. You know, they can come in and do their thing. And they may do it really well. I don't think that person necessarily would be a great partner for your company. That's a great point, Jen. I think the other part of that too that I that I see is a lot of people are in love with the idea of ownership, but not actually in love with ownership. Like once you find out what it actually entails, and that like, yeah, you're gonna have to put some capital into this, and you're really like the times you're gonna be paid out, or when the company is doing well, and you might have to go three or four months without getting paid at all. And like, there's there's a lot of risk that goes into ownership. And so like I've I can't tell you how many times I've gone down the path where a client has said, yeah, I want to make. Uh, XYZ a partner and we go, okay, let's let's talk with them. And then you get about five minutes into that conversation and you see their face go white and like, oh no, this is not what I thought ownership meant. I thought ownership meant I was gonna be a millionaire and I was gonna have um, you know, ownership in this awesome company. And once they actually find out what the logistics of it are, they're like, Yeah, that's that's not for me. So mm-hmm. Yeah, the other thing is that you know we're talking about ownership from the very beginning. Ownership from the very beginning, obviously you want to have that operating agreement in place from day one. No emotions, how the valuations can be determined, no emotions at that point. And everything is really done on a non-emotional stance. Because when you do split up, unfortunately, like a divorce, it gets emotional. You know, whether it gets a high emotion or a low emotion, there's still emotion in there. And you want to make sure that everything is just there. You know, here's how we dissolve it, you know, X, Y, Z. And then we go through that process and take care of it. Uh, that's really, really important. The other thing that I would say is that if you're adding a partner partway through the process, let's say you've already built you know, a couple million dollar practice and now you're adding a partner into that practice, be careful how you do it because you can have some really unintended tax consequences if that person isn't truly buying into the practice. Because keep in mind, they're getting a value for it and that value is actually taxable. You know, we had a situation from the very, you know, oh shoot, it's probably been about eight years ago where they gave like a half a million dollar deal to this partner coming in and he thought it was a great deal until he realized he's going to pay $200,000 in taxes on his tax return this next year. So we had to quickly go back and reverse everything out so that didn't happen and approach it in a completely different manner. The good thing about it was that we were able to catch it early because we brought him on as a new client and it was within their first year. This had already been a couple of years back. It had been a really hard way for us to unravel that and then they would have this huge tax consequence that was completely unintended by anybody. And uh, the partner probably wouldn't have been a partner had he known he was, he was going to pay, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars just to receive that half a million dollar benefit. You know, so yeah, it's funny. I had the same conversation with a client yesterday, like this exact conversation. And like, you know, the part, the new partner was fighting for 20%. And I'm like, you know, 20% means a $200,000 tax bill to you. Like, well, maybe 20% isn't what I want to give it to me. <laughs> you know, there, there's a lot that goes into partnership that not everybody thinks of. So I think, you know, the point there is, is you want to make sure you have the conversations, have them often, have them frequent 
and make sure you're, you're completely upfront with them. And, you know, I think that uh, valuation comes up a lot with this. And, you know, we talk a lot about, you know, I've heard people say valuation is, is what it is. Like if I decide my company is valued at a hundred dollars and I had all the partners agree with it, we could use that. And that that's a hundred percent true, but no one's going to feel that way when six months down the road, and they're, uh, you know, they're, that's where the, the value of the company is. And when it just seems there's a breakup, like, yeah, we value the company at that. That's not what it's valued at truly. So I, I do stand behind getting a, a true valuation calculation when you're doing any partnership agreements, even though it um, is, can be somewhat expensive sometimes. For so, sure. Awesome. So that's a podcast issue we have not touched upon yet. So we will probably do a deep dive um, podcast just on ownership stuff eventually, but um, that one was not. And then I forgot to mention when we were talking through the tax planning, um, we did a podcast on tax planning and that was episode 13. So if you want to get more on tax planning and tax projection, you can listen to uh, episode 13. So my last issue that I want to kind of talk through is another podcast we've done in the past. And that was episode 14 on growth and forecasting for growth. A lot of companies come to us and say, I want to grow. I need to grow. How do I, how do I do it? What, what are the steps I need to take in order to, to grow this business? And, and this really touches back to forecasting, which is why when we did this, um, when we did that podcast, we didn't just call it growth. We called it forecasting for growth because it's really hard to build your company without a plan. You know, I've heard Adam use this analogy a couple of times. It's, it's really hard to drive to Disney World without a map, without a plan to know where your stops are going to be and to know what you're going to do there. It's the same thing with growth. You're never going to do it unless you come up with a plan of what is it going to take to be there because there's a lot of things that go into it. A $2 million company is much different than a $5 million company. The admin looks different. The number of employees looks different. The revenue sources look different. So you want to make sure you put that plan on paper and you're drawing it out and then you're putting costs next to it so that when you are a $5 million company, you don't want to see right now you're a $2 million company that brings in $500,000 of growth. You don't want to, or of net income. You don't want to see yourself be a $5 million company that's bringing in $400,000 of net income. That makes no sense to grow the revenue, but not grow the bottom line. So you want to make it sure that a lot too. It, it does. A lot. It's not uncommon yeah. at all. So you want to make sure you're not, um, growing the company without a plan because you want to, when you grow to that 5 million, you want to keep your profit margin about the same. You know, you're, you're, you might not be at the 25%, but maybe you'll be at 20%. And then you're having a million dollars of growth on a rev net income on $5 million of, of revenue, which makes a lot more sense. And that, that, that's the reason to do it is because you grow your cash quicker. It gives you more flexibility as a business. And so this is something that I can't tell you how many times you've heard it in our onboarding. Our goal is to grow. Our goal is to be an $8 million company by 2022 or whatever that is. And I think that's, that's where the fun begins. I, I love doing forecasting. I love doing planning because I get to take people that are listening to this podcast have great ideas and I get to put it on paper and I get to calculate it out and see what it's going to look like and put some numbers behind it. So that's, that's a process that is really fun um, is, is helping companies figure out how to grow. Yeah, grow, growing profitably. That's the, that's the key that I think Jamie mentioned there. Uh, a lot of people will ask, you know, should we have a really small margin as we grow? In my opinion, no. You know, you should be able to grow at, a, at the same rate. It depends on how you're doing it, but you should be able to grow at a fairly similar rate that you would normally be at if you weren't at a growing stage. You know, it should be 15% normally, maybe 13% your growth, you know, profit margin because you've got your hedging a little bit on your expenses to be able to handle growth. But growth is a, a big thing. And it's kind of funny you mentioned growth because I just received a uh, prospective call popped on my calendar today, and that's what they said that they're they've got everything down. They're looking for a growth and strategy. You know, that was the, the couple of big things that they're looking for. And so growth comes up a lot and growth is, um, you know, it's, it's just one of those things that we can't teach people how to grow, but we can teach people how to grow profitably. And that's the, uh, that's the key there. That's I think even more important. If you're going to grow, you've got to grow with a healthy profit margin 
healthy gross profit margins and you've got to be able to have everything aligned so that it's just not all going haywire, you know, white wire growing. You've got to be able to have a really good hand on the pulse the whole way through for sure. I think that's a great point, Jody. I think it's it's really easy to say right now I'm a $2 million company and I'm going to have that $500,000 profit. And it's really easy to say when I'm a $5 million company, I'm going to have a million dollar profit. But what about every stage in between there? And so I think it's really important to kind of do those benchmarks. And this is honestly what I do for Summit. This is my main job at Summit is the next time we hire a CFO, I need to prove to Jody that even at the first day we hire that CFO and they have one client and that's all they have, are we still going to be profitable at that point? And we're not just adding X amount of cost to our bottom line and then just having having that kill us right away. We want to make sure that every step of the way, now you're not going to be as profitable, profitable. Obviously, if you add, you know, $150,000 of cost to your, um, to your line item, to your cost, you're going to have a little less profit at that point, but you want to make sure you still are being profitable in all those stages. And again, it's, so it's important to kind of figure out what those benchmarks are and say, as we grow from two to five, when we hit three, what are we going to look like? When we hit four, what are we going to look like? When we hit 3.5, you know, just kind of along the way, just to make sure you're not having those six to eight months of just losses as you grow. For sure. And the profitability, again, we stress profitability. You want to be at least 15% profitability, net income. That's before your owner compensation. If you have owner compensation in there, if it's after that, you're looking maybe towards like maybe a 25% profitability margin, maybe even more depending upon, the, you know, what your billing rates are and what your costs are. But if you're not getting that, it's really difficult. You've got to look internal and it's really hard to grow if you're not profitable because you're going to zap your cash very quickly. And that's, uh, and that's something that you're getting an abundance of, you know, from growing for sure. But, uh, you know, be, be careful on your profit margins. Make sure you're set to grow before you take that plunge and start taking on these big clients that could actually take out of business. And it does tie back to cash reserve. You know, I think that uh, anytime a company is telling us they want they want growth, we we bump that cash reserve percent up a little bit and say, okay, well, you don't need fifteen percent of revenue in the in the bank. You need twenty percent or you need twenty five percent because growth does cost money. You know, it does it does cost money to, to purchase. It does cost money to add a building or to add computers. Do all the stuff it takes to grow like it definitely costs money so you want to make sure you have a little extra cash reserve in the bank if you're going down that road mm -hmm, for sure and so the last thing i just want to throw our email address out there so um we have an email address for anybody that is um listening to uh the show that wants to give us feedback we're always looking for new topics we're also looking for um guests on the show so if you want to be a guest or have a topic for us please um email us at the cfo at summitcpa.net again the CFO at summitcpa.net. We're always looking for email topics and we're starting to get more and more is coming through. So we appreciate that, but we're always looking for more. So now that the email address is thrown out there, Jody, any final thoughts on kind of the four topics we hit or anything else that uh, we need to talk about? Yeah, I think all four of these, you probably should just write them down. You know, cash flow, tax projections, growth, you know, ownership, possibility of an ownership exiting, you know, or, or bringing on an owner. And having those in your in your you know your backpack the whole time, so you can kind of look back and say, hey, am I handling that right? Cash flow, check the box. Tax projections, check the box. Growth, and every visiting that make you've got all all four of those things you know covered. And if you don't, don't be afraid to reach out for help. You know, there's people out there like ourselves, or people, you know, other people out there that can definitely help out. Don't feel like you've got to be able to take this on by yourself and figure it out by yourself. Because you know, if we did that, I'd be a one person shop. You know, and now we're 50 person shop because you have to be vulnerable and be able to reach out for help in, in the different areas that maybe you don't have the expertise to, to, to focus on. I think it's a, a great point. I think all four of the areas we talked about, and I didn't realize this till now, there are experts that are out there in these areas. You can find people who are ownership 
experts, whether they're um, tax people or lawyers or whatever they are. You can find people who can, um, obviously, CFOs that can help you do cash flow. You can find CPAs that are tax experts and then growth, obviously, CFOs in that area. So, yeah, don't be afraid to reach out and get help in these areas because I think these are things that people reach out to because, obviously, we've been reached out to in all four of these items quite frequently. So, you know, there you don't have to be an expert in these four areas because there are experts out there. For sure. Cool. Um, well, Jody, appreciate you uh, starting this conversation with me today and then being able to record right now and get this out there for our listeners. So um, yeah, appreciate that. Yeah, definitely a great episode for sure. Yeah. Thanks a lot. Enjoy this episode? Visit our website at summitcpa.net to get more tips and strategies for achieving virtual CPA success. We're here to be a resource in this ever-changing industry.